0: The microbial community or microbes on our body outnumber our own cells. I mean, we have these billions of microorganisms colonizing our, the, uh, our uh, the surface of our bodies. We don't feel them, but there is a dynamic interaction between us and them, and they contribute to our health disease status.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Scientist Podcast. This is Akram, and I'm really excited about today's episode. As you have seen in the title, today's guest is Dr. Nazar Al-Hibshi. In today's episode, he will be sharing with us information about the exciting research that he's doing, some of the challenges that faced him during the different stages of his career, and as a faculty member, he will share with us some valuable information about what is expected of PhD students and postdocs when they apply for positions, and the things that they could increase their chances of being accepted in these postgraduate programs. Before we get into the podcast, I would like to ask you to subscribe and or follow. In here we talk about the science, the stories behind the research, the struggle and the success. In the scientist podcast, everyone will learn something new about the science while also hearing the stories of the people behind it. I believe by hearing these stories, we can start to recognize and appreciate the efforts of these researchers. So. Follow if you haven't already, and let's get to the podcast. Hello, Dr. Nazar. Thank you very much for uh, making the time to meet me today and to join the Scientist podcast. Um, good good... Actually, it's good morning on my side. It's good evening on your side. Yeah, it is. It's it's already 8 p.m. over here. So thank you for, you know, getting up a bit early and trying to, and, you know, making time for me today.
0: Absolutely, My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Uh, no worries uh, i know you're busy so let's get to the topic immediately uh f- first uh, question that i would like to ask you about is uh would you introduce yourself first of all and then would you in a few like as simple as possible i know i've i've in the couple of days of that uh, proceeded today like in these last three days i've i've read a little bit about your research and i know how complicated it can get <laughs> so please try to make it as, as simple as possible so everybody could understand your research and what do you do in your lab
0: sure so my name is nizar al um, uh, i was born in Sana'a in yemen in 1975 where i did my uh, uh, school and undergrad education i actually i was i was trained as a dentist i obtained my uh, bachelor in dental surgery degree uh, in 1999. Mm-hmm. So I spent all my life, uh, first years of my life until I was 20 years, 20, 26 years uh, in Yemen. And then upon graduation, or obtaining my dental degree, I practiced for one to two years as a dentist. Um, and I think I was doing fine um, in clinical practice, but then I was very passionate about science. So I was thinking uh opportunities of continuing my higher education so uh, it was not easy it was not easy at all uh i tried everywhere but i was then fortunate that uh, during my 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 dental program when i was a third year student we had the visiting professor from sudan uh, his name is uh, professor ali Idris, and he was teaching us uh, oral pathology and i think i did fine with that course he, uh, he was impressed and um, uh, he kept on coming every year. When I, when I, after one year of graduation, he came back and he was, uh, he felt sorry that I was not able to to get any opportunity to continue my education. And at that point, he had some connections with, uh, with, uh, with uh, institutes in Sweden, in Norway, because uh, there was an ongoing collaboration between Sudan and, and Norway and so on. So he said, "Would you, would you like to try um, to apply to the uh, Postgraduate uh, program in Norway in University of Bergen, and I, of course I said yes. Out of, uh, uh, the, I mean I was disappointed. So yeah. we completed, he he took the, the last copy of application from his bag. It was it, it had also a coffee stain on it because that was the last one. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did that and we sent it to to Norway by mail. There was no uh, there, hardly we were using emails at that point. And fortunately, and he wrote me a very strong uh, recommendation letter, and uh, I got it. So uh, I got the acceptance. I was very happy. I initially applied for uh, for um, uh, a seat in the oral pathology department, but it was already full. So mm-hmm. they said that the spot in the oral microbiology. At that point, we even didn't hear about this uh, area of specialization in M&M. We know microbiology, but microbiology. Know oral microbiology would be a specialty within mm. within dentistry, and I think it was yeah. So I I, I accepted it and I uh, moved to Norway uh, in 2001, where I started my master's, bridged directly to PhD. So it took me like four or five years to uh, finish my PhD. Um, yep. Yeah. So. Um, uh, uh, I defended my thesis in December 2005. Uh, the thesis included uh, already at that point four published uh, papers. Uh, and the work I did at that, um, during my PhD was on the effects of, of gut chewing on oral microorganisms and how... Uh, um, I, I wouldn't go into the details of the results because many people wouldn't like to see what the results are. Um, they wouldn't uh, like it uh, in a way because many people would expect that I uh, and this is my was my hypothesis initially that cut would increase the levels of pathogens, will uh, induce microbial changes that are um, pro and so on. But what I found was the other way around, and I mean, <laughs> I mean that. Uh, that yeah. was uh, that was biologically uh, uh, plausible because cat is is a plant and plant has lots of antimicrobial uh, compounds and and, and uh, so it was it uh, I mean eventually when you go into the science it's not surprising to know that see that cat would have antimicrobial properties and uh, so this is what I found in uh, and because it has also lots of tannins mm-hmm. and and phenols so. Um, uh, we found that I found that it uh, it inhibited the activities the activity of the bacteria that causes dental caries or cavities, and so on. Anyway, so that was the work that I did during my PhD, and it was published uh, and it continued to be cited until today. Um, and then I I, yeah. I think
1: that's pretty interesting, you know, especially for people and you know, people who are completely against that. And you know, the habit of chewing is one thing. But you know, scientifically proven facts are another thing. So, and exactly. it's a fact, right?
0: And I made that argument in the discussion that I mean, science is science, and what we see and what we discover, we have to report it. And um, and I use the the the, the snake venom as a as an example. It's 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 it's, it's, it's lethal. Yeah, uh, kills. But see how many medicines we drive from that from from the, from this. You know, so that these are just some issues, right?
1: Yeah, um, I I have. I have a comment about when you defended your PhD. Your your PhD. I heard that you did it in classical Yemeni clothes, right?
0: Yeah. So just came, the idea came out of blue, and I then I, I, although I was born in in Sanaa and raised in Sanaa, but because we are originally from Aden, from the south part of Yemen, and wearing Jambia is not a tradition. So even in, when I was in in Sanaa, I was not tra- wearing. I, I didn't used to wear Jambia frequently. Mm. Um, but this came to my mind, well, this is a, a, a unique opportunity. Why don't I dress in, in, in Yemeni at, uh, custom? And I uh, and I asked the university, is that okay? They said yes. But I didn't have Jambia. So I called
1: <laughs>
0: Yeah. to buy me one and send it by DHL. And we were only one week away from, from my PhD, like 10 days away. So he did. He went to Babel Yemen and he bought me one. Uh, silver one which was really nice so he, he wanted that to be as a, also as a gift not, not only like a,
1: something that I uh, would wear Who, who bought who bought it for you? My father Oh, your father Oh, nice <laughs> That's a nice gift so he, for a PhD he, graduate
0: uh, He packed it and he sent it by DHL mm-hmm. and, and he did just before the defense he then arrived and I was following <laughs> it, tried, tracking it and I found it just reached the hub close to the airport so I called them I am driving and coming and picking it. Don't 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 send it out for delivery. So I drove. Uh it was winter, December in, in Norway, very cold, snowing. I drove there, I got it. Just the night before the defense. And yeah. It, yeah. So on the day of the defense, I, I, I wore it. I went to the with the with the uh, with the um, uh, Navy color dress and the silver jambia. And the shawl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when when I started the defense, the uh, the dean of the school told the uh, opponents that um, I I ask you to be careful because the candidate is uh, has weapons. Of <laughs>
1: course. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, but but honestly, like yeah, I, I didn't know that. I I thought that you had it all the time with you, like while you were in in Norway, because honestly just receiving it the day before your defense is stressful to be honest like you know you have your defense and then you have one more thing to worry about
0: but it was an ex- it was it was exciting i mean uh, because it was just a, an idea that came to my mind and mm. i tried to make it happen and it happened
1: well well very nice uh,
0: <laughs> sorry no, I'm, but then I disappointed my father because he bought me quite an expensive one. And at the end of the de, uh, of the defense, and when um, my thesis was approved, uh-huh. uh, I thought that it would. Don't be tell me you
1: gave it away.
0: Yeah, I gave it. to You them. did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: To, so to whom I, did it, you give it away? I gave
0: it to this. I gave it to the school, to the university, actually, and it is still kept until now in the uh, university museum.
1: Oh. That's, that's nice. Yeah. But, but yeah, like, but so, this is also a great memory too. Yeah, it is. And a great contribution. Okay, okay so th- this was like your up until your studies, right? Uh, would you introduce us a little bit to your work now and uh, what are you doing, your research?
0: Yeah, so I'm currently an associate professor um, at the uh, School of Dentistry, University of uh, Temple University which is located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the USA. I started my work in 2016. So between 2005, when I got my PhD, to 2016, it was a long journey between Yemen, also as a faculty, and then in Saudi Arabia. Maybe we'll talk about this a bit uh, later, if you would like. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 2016, I joined Temple University, as I mentioned, uh, where I established... Uh, um uh, a research lab in the area of oral microbiome research uh which is which I continue could to work or co-direct until until now um uh, and of course I also I'm involved in in, in teaching uh in the school but uh, my focus is to do is to do research um it was not Initially, because um, uh, I'm not used to the uh, to U.S. system. U.S. system is is a bit complicated, uh, very competitive, challenging. Um, to, uh, and to survive, you have to submit grants and obtain funding. And for somebody who's, who came from outside USA, it was not easy. But with time, I learned uh, from the process. Um, in two or three years, I was able to secure two grants from the National Institute of Health. Uh, and then a third one and one also from the Department of Health, uh, so from the state. And now I'm working on even larger grants. Um, so that's just an overview. Uh, as, as an besides research, I teach microbiology, microbiome courses to uh, the post baccalaureate program, which is a program before students can get some students can get into the dental uh, program and I also teach the freshmen uh, the freshmen one course and then some 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 lectures for the postgraduate program. Uh,
1: they're all in oral microbiology. Yeah, all um, most of my work is in the oral
0: microbiology, uh, uh, but in, um, as it relates to uh, um, gum disease, perioditis, uh, dental caries, and my particular focus is on oral cancer. Uh, so this is okay. what the most most of the work I'm doing now is in the, in the at the intersection between microbiology and oral cancer.
1: I see. And um, simply put, uh, how wh- what did you find? Uh, how does oral microbiology relate to cancer?
0: Okay. So before I get to that, so mm-hmm. I have three primary areas of research or lines of research. One. Mm-hmm is to because this is the concept of microbiome let me maybe explain it in, 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 in lay terms layman mm-hmm. terms
1: uh-huh.
0: um, microbiome refers to all microorganisms in a particular site of the body so if you take a sample from from the mouth mm-hmm. all the bacteria all the viruses all the fungi mm-hmm. as a community that are present in the in the in the oral cavity or on the skin or in the gut is called microbiome. And we name it after the site it comes from. So uh, if it comes from the oral cavity, that's oral microbiome. It comes from the gut, that's gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I say community, then it it is, it is a community because there is lots of interaction between the members uh, synergism and anti- antagonism between these microorganisms and they are also in dynamic relation with the host so they are not just commensals i mean we have these billions of microorganisms colonizing our the uh, our uh, the surface of our bodies uh, the mucosa all the way from the mouth all the way to the um, to the small intestine and, and so on um, we don't feel them but there is a dynamic interaction between us and them, and they contribute to our health disease status. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, not in the classical sense, that's uh, uh, where uh, the, the, our classical understanding where one pathogen would cause disease like ma- malaria would co- uh, will be caused with, the, uh, uh, with, uh, with, um, uh, with a protozoan or whether um, cholera will be caused by a bacterium or... HIV will be caused by a virus. Uh, these mm-hmm. single pathogens. Now, I mean, now, now, in the context of this microbial community that lives with us, because their number out, num- uh, their number out, out, or the uh, the the the, uh, the microbial community or microbes in our body outnumber our own cells. So, for every human cell, there are ten uh, bacteria. Uh, and if we, if we, okay, uh, if I, we,
1: uh, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, and we, <laughs> this is very interesting. Uh, Imagine so, um, and if uh, uh, that's only for bacteria. So if you include the viruses, that would be even more. Uh, So we are more bacteria in terms of number than than human (laughs) cells. Okay,
1: (laughs) this is this is quite interesting.
0: Interesting. Now, now even more interesting that for every human gene, there are one hundred bacterial genes. So imagine, I mean, we are now described as um, a super organism whose features or, or, or behavior is, is not just the sum the of our genetic makeup, but uh, also of, the, uh, of us and of the bacteria and microbes that live with us. Uh, so these microbial communities, or the, what I call as microbiome, interact with us. Uh, there has been great interest in, 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 in the microbiome. So the, uh, the, the concepts re-emerged, in this special context in 2001. And since then, there has been great interest in understanding the composition and the function of this microbiome, how do these microorganisms look like, what are they, and how do they function, and how they contribute to health and also disease. And we have had an explosion in the number of studies that show, demonstrate that, um, the microbiome contributes to all diseases you can think of: diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular diseases, inflammatory, uh, autoimmune diseases, uh, hypersensitivity, allergies, uh, neurological disorders. Of course, in the uh, in the oral cavity, we have periodontitis and dental caries, and then cancers. Uh, almost every type of cancer has been linked, in one or, 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 or uh, in a way or another, to the microbiome. Because studies demonstrated that people who have cancer have different microbiome than those who do not have cancer. So the conclusion is that the microbiome contributes to the risk of developing uh, uh, cancer. And that by intervening, we can reduce, we can, or by intervening or changing the microbiome, we can either prevent or help with the treatment of 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 cancer
1: intervening in the sense of uh what like suppressing certain microbiomes that are right. present in the oral cavity or is
0: for for modulating the microbiome
1: uh, can, can you repeat that cuz i think your voice modulating,
0: you're modulating oh. the microbiome okay okay so there are different strategies to modulate the microbiome one one way is to introduce uh the good bacteria, which we call them as probiotics. That's one way. Mm -hmm. Or to add nutrients that encourage the growth of good bacteria, we call these as prebiotics. Uh, Nowadays, uh, there is lots of research going on with fecal transplants. So we can take a fecal transplant from a healthy donor and give it to a diseased person to help with I'll give you an example, and I, saw, uh, I came across a paper where they, uh, they saw that supplementing immunotherapy in, in cancer in melanoma patients with fecal transplants increases the response to treatment. So this is just an example of how, um, how modulating the microbiome can uh, improve Treatment outcomes in 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 patients with with, with cancer. Uh, this is on the treatment side, but also um, understanding the role of, of of the microbiome in early stages uh, provides with, with with opportunities to identify diagnostic biomarkers, early diagnostic biomarkers, prognostic biomarkers, and also uh, prevention targets or target targetable. Um, Markers, biomarkers that we can use for prevention of of cancer. Uh, so this is all um, this is all an overview of the uh, broad overview of the research ongoing uh, on the on the oral on the microbiome and uh, and and cancer. In my case, I am focusing on the oral on oral cancer, or oral squamous cell carcinoma, type of, mm-hmm. of what happens in the oral cavity. Uh, which is classically, I mean, the risk factors or the causative agents are known. Um, the, the major risk factors are smoking, tobacco, tobacco uh, uh, use, alcohol consumption, and um, uh, one type of viral infection called the human papilloma virus. Mm-hmm. But there is now more and more evidence that also the oral microbiome or the microbial community can contribute to the disease process, which is the focus of my 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 research.
1: So squamous cell carcinoma is a type of cancer that is related to tobacco chewing, chew, chew tobacco, chewing tobacco. Sometimes right. I, I become no, dyslexic. I mean
0: all forms of uh, uh, of tobacco use. So right. smoking, um, as, as chewing tobacco, snuff, dipping, all these forms of.
1: The, the reason the reason I mentioned it is because before moving to Japan, I used to work in Althara Hospital as an uh, in the department of oral maxillofacial surgery and it was the number of cases that used to come with oral cancer like squamous cell carcinoma ca- like cases we would weekly have one patient at least that's coming from other cities like uh, you know Hodeida, and the, the numbers were like scary so i i really hope that you know, with your research, it—I don't know—we it will be possible to kind of figure out a way to maybe detect cancer a bit earlier and easier for these people.
0: Yeah, for 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 oral cancer in Yemen, the situation is similar to Sudan and to India, where the primary risk factor, or the I would call it the I would call it cause, not just risk, risk factor, is the use of smokeless uh, tobacco products. Tobacco. Yeah. Uh, which is highly prevalent in Yemen. We have the what we call as PEMMA. And if they come back in, in Sudan and in India, they have lots of other uh, varieties. Uh, they are the major risk factors. So uh, And in the absence of control over the production of these products, I mean, it's not easy to ask people to stop using these products. Uh, they are already using it. Um, uh, better is to uh, to have policies and regulations um, uh, that prevent
1: people from using these materials,
0: because there are ways to treat these products to reduce the content of carcinogens in them. So, at least, of course, with education campaigns and interventions to encourage people to 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 uh, uh, reduce the use of or stop using these products. But on the on the government side. Um, uh it'd be even more effective to uh, to uh, to have control over the production the the, the uh, production process of these of, of these uh, products
1: well I, I i i was going to ask like um how do you see would be the applications or the outcomes of your research in aiding the process of treating these you know these types of cases or is it more like a diagnostic tool or do you think that uh, will like actually be preventive measures that could <laughs> come out of this research and help prevent you know
0: so this takes us back to my own research so uh, mm-hmm. uh, i'm not particularly interested in the direct relation, uh, direct connection between tobacco use and cancer so as i mentioned in in my case i'm, I'm f- uh, interested in understanding the role of the oral microbiome or the mm-hmm. oral microbial communities Including bacteria, fungi, viruses in oral cancer, and how they contribute to the disease process. So, mm-hmm. I have I have uh, research projects. Some are uh, some are just spending uh, funding, where we are looking early in the process, even before the, the, the cancer happens, to see if we can identify biomarkers. Uh, for diagnosis or um, as diagnostic biomarkers or prognostic biomarkers in the early stages, before lesions can convert into or change into oral cancer, and that's that we will we'll be looking also on the role how these microorganisms contribute to the, to uh, to the development of of cancer. So that's one area of of my research. The other area, uh, in the same topic is can we use good bacteria, the ones that are healthy? Can we use them directly to treat? Do they have any anti-cancer properties? Can we just put them on the tumor and see if they resolve, they kill the tumors? And I have done some work in vitro in the lab and that shows some promising results. Of course, we cannot conclude much. We have to move into mice, animal models, and then into humans, and it's a long process. But the results from, and we can end up with finding nothing for example but I, I am i am optimistic because now the results i have from from uh from the in vitro uh, uh, studies and now moving to preliminary uh um, animal studies we have some promising results that some of these bacteria have anti cancer properties on their own or they can be used as adjuvant uh, or to complement um existing therapies like immunotherapy for example so this is also one uh, one area of of my research interest in the area uh, of uh, uh, um, microbiome and oral cancer
1: and, and the beautiful thing about it is that like you mentioned like this bacteria is already part of our bodies so it's not like you're introducing a foreign uh, exactly. material into your body right exactly exactly this, this is a this is an awesome idea <laughs> this is what this is a, yeah, I hope it works, yeah. Uh okay, so talk go we since we went back to you, to the research and the research that you're doing in your lab um I I don't think that you do all the lab by yourself, right? Like you have uh, the work by yourself, like you have uh, P, like PhD students probably and postdocs helping you out. So, I'm wondering like ooh, some what would be the criteria that you look for in People who would want to join, uh, do PhD in your department, or like uh, apply for a postdoc over there.
0: Okay, so uh, so I had I had experience with with PhD providing uh, PhD students before I moved to the USA. But uh, since I came to the USA, uh, USA and given the nature of my projects, and uh, I need somebody who's already had good experience, so I have not accepted PhD students so far. So I am I'm I mainly work with postdocs uh, mm-hmm. because they come up with. Lots of experience they have already published. They have done uh, lots of lab work. So basically, it's the how relevant the experience of who's applying to what I am doing. So I would receive lots of good applications in terms of the uh, university, uh, the university from which the applicant received their PhD, uh, how many papers in what paper and what journals they published their papers, um, uh, and. With, with an interview based on how they seem to be uh, uh, um, knowledgeable and uh, aware of the details of the different techniques that they worked with. Um, but what counts for me is whether this experience uh, is relevant to what I'm proposing. So that's usually the most difficult part. So I would always tailor my, my announcement to make it very clear about what i what experiences expertise skills i need from the from the particular applicant for the postdoc and um, my advice to anyone who would would, would want to, uh, to apply is to read the announcements very 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 carefully and make sure before applying and wasting time his her time and the and the pi's time to make sure that well do i have this expertise do i have this, these set of skills? Uh, do I have experience in this area at all? Uh, sometimes it could be close, so I would give it a try because uh, all postdocs are, are smart enough to, to be trained. Uh, but uh, many times I would receive applications that are totally irrelevant from people who have nothing to do with what I included in the announcement. So uh, I would discourage uh, anyone from doing this. You cannot just fish. You have to reach out where um, uh, you have to be targeted um, and and you tailor your your letter of interest to show or the PI that you know what you're applying to and how your skills and experiences will serve the project in, in question. So uh, mm-hmm. this is the way, I, uh, of course, then you, I mean, once I, I identify a person with matching experience, Mm. Uh, and, and and set of skills. Then the interview mm. just to make sure that uh, that they have good communication skills, uh, 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 all other personal qualities that you would want to see in a, in, a, uh, in somebody you work with. Uh,
1: yeah. So Stuff. I- ideally, like any applicant would be would match, you know, the exact requirements that you you know have. Uh, put the ad for or like the recruitment right. uh, you know uh, announcement for so far like I, I don't know i'm not putting anybody on on blast but so far how what percentage uh, did the applicants fulfill like people who you hired or who mm-hmm. are in your lab do they fit the requirements that you had as 100 percent or like what what percentage do you think would be acceptable for you to accept a postdoc in your lab,
0: that's that's a difficult decision. It depends on how many applicants and how desperate you need a, a postdoc. Uh, I mean, I was very, <laughs> I, I I was very lucky with my first postdoc, uh-huh. and that I would say maybe ninety percent, around eighty-five to ninety percent of I what I expected to see was uh, he had that. So uh,
1: that's I, that's pretty good
0: worked with me for five years um the second post was also a, i would say 60 um 60 percent match i would say uh, but again as i said postdocs phds are smart and they're trainable mm-hmm. but you need at least a bare, a bare minimum that at, at that this postdoc wants this because he was a phd student or a masters where you're going to train from scratch you you have a project that you want to make progress with this project. Yeah. So you need at least the, the postdoc to have the the skills the potential to make even little progress from the day uh, he or she joins the lab uh, so if i would say 30 40% of of what is required is 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 available then th- th- that's that would be acceptable
1: that would be acceptable so uh, i know like uh, you mentioned earlier that you don't accept phd's in your lab yet Um, let's say that in the future, hopefully you will start accepting PhDs. Do you think that they should have some prior research experience or generally speaking, not even in your lab, somebody who's interested in joining a PhD program? What do you think, which requirements does a PhD student need to have in order to be a successful PhD PhD student or PhD scholar?
0: Now, it's here where the... uh being in in a different system versus where we came from, I mean, based on my experience, I went to Norway with no research experience whatsoever, and I still, and not only me, many of others from who came after me from Yemen and from other countries were able to succeed eventually. So I would say that's not a request a requirement, but in a competitive setting like the U.S., where you have lots of applicants. Uh, that become a, that becomes a requirement, and people, uh, many people come already to apply to PhD with substantial research experience, either as part of a master's degree after their uh, undergrad, or some students are, are are active enough to do some impressive research projects during their undergrad uh, and even publish. So in that case, uh, we give priority to, to those who did. So if you if somebody from outside USA is applying to USA for a master's or a PhD, or a PhD it becomes very, very, very difficult if they don't have their I mean, uh, maybe a few could have made it through, through the system, mm-hmm. but usually people with previous experience are given pre, uh, period, priority. Uh, priority. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. Actually, even with the masters, because um, uh, one reason that I'm not <laughs> yet accepting PhD yeah. uh, as of as of now, because if I need if I want to accept, I have to go through the university program, because we don't have a direct PhD through our school, uh, but I, I I still have the option of of getting PhD students through 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 the university or the medical school. Hmm. So we have our own masters program, and I'm i I'm, I'm, I'm in the uh, the uh, committee and. Uh, we still expect the applicants to have or give priority to those applicants who have done some undergrad research.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh Let me ask you, like you being, uh, you know, part of the educational uh, members of uh, Temple University, is it required of undergrads to do some research? Yeah. Is it? Is it a requirement?
0: Actually, I teach one of these courses. So we have in our dental school, we have two courses called Science in Dental Practice, um, and it's two parts. So, in in part one, we give the, we provide the students with an overview of research and science and how it's important to dentistry, evidence-based dentistry, systematic reviews, and how how they can appraise um, uh, the literature and how to present uh, research and how to add in, how to uh, criticize scientific uh, papers. Also, we we provide them with an overview of the uh, res- uh, the basic research design in, 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 the, uh, in, in dental research. And then in Science and Dental Practice 2, which starts in year two, they start to do in groups their own research. And it's a requirement. They have to do research and present the results of that research before they graduate. Uh, but, of course, it's not always necessarily to do original research. They have also the... Um, the opportunity to do systematic review instead of doing original research, so they have mm-hmm. at least two options uh to, to choose from for their research requirement. But it's a requirement. I see. And they don't graduate if they, if they don't complete that requirement.
1: It was the same thing in, in here in Japan. I was so impressed when I, I joined like my PhD program here, and I saw undergrad students performing research. Of course, like they, like you said, like they don't. It's not necessarily a complicated research, but at least, you know, they learn how to do experiments, how to be in a lab, how to make a hypothesis and basically be able to at least write a paper. Of course, and it's done in some Japanese
0: funny, though. Funny, funny, <laughs> uh, about this, because when I was a 5th year student uh, in, in Yemen last year in the dental program, mm. and some of the visiting uh, professors uh, suggested that we, it, as an option, we can do some research and then it was not serious about it, but I liked the idea, and I wanted to do something. So on my own, I just wrote a proposal to the best I can at that point, and I wanted to study the um, the um, uh, the effectiveness of new generation, the new generation then bonding agents uh, between uh, to uh, to. Um, uh, combine amalgam amul- with composite because many times we uh, at, at that point I thought that maybe we can when we have we can face amalgam with, with with composite so mm-hmm. I I took the initiative myself I traveled mm-hmm. to and I bought one of the uh, bonding agents there I brought it there and I made the blocks of composite and uh, of, of amalgam and then I placed the bonding agent and the composite on top of it I made these blocks I made extension wires from each block so that we can pull them apart to, t- to test the uh, tensile strength. Um I went to the engineering department to see if they have the the machine that will break the the uh, or we will can test the these specimens but I couldn't find and I ended up doing very very weird to test for the uh for for the tensile strength by adding weights small weights uh, you know oh, the the means yeah, 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 yeah.
1: <laughs> that's the, yeah, uh, yeah but, but that's impressive. The ...wire to break the to break the bond. Uh, <laughs> this is this is actually this is awesome. This is like you 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 found a way. You find a way, and that's what that's why you're a researcher. That's why you're like you have your own lab. Yeah. It's uh, honestly this is this is great. I I never heard. I did not hear a similar story to, so far. But yeah, awesome. <laughs> And this actually, this brings me to the next question that I wanted to ask you. What are the difficulties that you faced, uh, you know, along your career? So you like you said, like you moved in between different places. Uh, right now, you just mentioned one of the difficulties that you faced during your, your like bachelor's and trying to do research. So basically not being the universities in Yemen being under equipped not equipped well enough for research is one of the problems but for example when you moved to norway or i i know you also worked for a little bit for a, not even a little bit for for a while in, in saudi arabia and also you did some research in yemen too and after that you moved to the states so what were like the main difficulties that faced you during these different stages of your life
0: yeah so I just gave the, uh, that example of, of my uh, early attempts to do research in, in, in Yemen
1: yeah. as
0: a student and because it was not a requirement. Uh, I mean, I did my best to, and I had uh, a lovely professor from Egypt, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Suraya Junaid, who was uh, supporting me. Um, uh, uh, and she was uh, impressed by my, by, by my enthusiasm for, for, for doing research when I was still at that point of my career. And moving to Norway changed everything because I moved to a very uh, respected, reputable university, uh, research university known for a strong research program with lots of mentorship, uh, research lab, facilities, funding. Uh, so that changed things uh, 180 degrees. So it's there where I was really trained as a researcher. In Norway, so uh, the credit goes to, uh, to, to them and to my supervisor who passed away in 2007, unfortunately, Nils Kog. So I found myself in a in a lab with all the resources, facilities that I need, and also funding I need, and with even little um, um, with little restrictions on even the topic that I want to choose for my research, which would be maybe a disadvantage in in the mind of some of some people who do things work in the usa where usually the pi would in a way dictate the area or at least the line of research Uh, in uh, it was open i was
1: free to choose the subject that uh, you want to research uh,
0: of my research and to develop the methods to test them to do everything on my own uh, that was great, and, and on one hand, because that gives us freedom, but it was also very difficult because we, uh, in a way, received less mentoring than a PhD would uh, receive, in for example, in the USA. Uh, but that was a, that was a unique, a unique opportunity for us to develop to be independent researchers even before completing our PhD.
1: So th- this is a question that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, you know, like you said, like you didn't have. Prior research experience or like limited research experience prior to moving to Norway. Uh, what were the steps that uh, you know your university in Norway took to train you as a researcher? I, I is the official first of all is the official language English in in the lab yeah, or and in the program? I mean, uh,
0: the official the, uh, the official language in Norway is Nor- Norwegian and it's the, yeah. it's is used throughout graduate and specialty programs as well. But for, for the postgraduate, the master's and the PhD, because these are international pro- uh, programs, then mm-hmm. um, these are in English language.
1: So educational materials, everything was in English? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, as oh. part of the program that I was admitted to, everything was in English. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I started through an intensive six-month courses, mm-hmm. really heavy courses, uh, from all the way from nine to three uh, every day for the first five months where we where we had uh, large dose of of, of uh, basic <coughs> concepts of uh, or, uh, of research or the principles of research
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: um, and only towards the end of that where we start to and you know the way it, it works because you have a system. I mean, you have people or students who have started one year before you, and then two years and three years, and you have access to all these resources and materials and and, and proposals, and theses, so you can go back and read and see how people do and seek their help even before you get back all the way to your to your mentor. So it's it's the learning environment also. It's not just the courses that you would receive or the facilities you are so there is a very strong research environment you learn from everyone you interact with everyone who's doing research who's more senior by one year by two years by three years by four years and so on so you learn from everyone um so things things uh, eventually work out for you so uh, and i think this is uh, this is the difference between um uh, so it's not about just funding and and even uh, Access to equipment is the research environment in terms of expertise, researchers, uh, research teams, uh, um, very established PIs that you can connect with, learn from. Uh, that makes a difference between although Saudi Arabia has now changed a lot and they have made huge progress in the in, in the area of scientific research. But when when I moved, uh, of course, in Yemen the experience was was um, although exceptional. Uh, what was ex- exceptional that I was able to establish the first research lab in Yemen between 2006 and 9. That was uh, So in 2009, the lab was ready and that was uh, uh, at the University of Science and Technology with direct support from Dr. Sinan, Tarat Sinan Abu May his soul rest, uh, rest in peace. Um, We established the first molecular research laboratory in Yemen and it's there where I also started, uh, um, did lots of work as an independent researcher and I had, I supervised master's students and PhD students, uh, but we had lots of challenges with funding. We we were able to purchase the equipment, we had a a very uh, quite well equipped lab, but we were, uh, we had uh, difficulties extreme difficulties with funding uh, funding and then the lack of research environment basically you are on your own there isn't anyone you can really learn from or interact or team with or collaborate it was it was but still was productive given the circumstances in the country but as you know the situation in 2011 deteriorated um uh, power outages um, uh, everything. Didn't it, I mean it? Didn't bore out. I mean, we were trying to push hard, but even I mean, you can you can handle doing small experiments with even out of uh, out of pocket money, but you cannot uh, work without electricity, for example. So, but
1: from 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 what I understood from you, you did molecular biology experiments and. Uh, like primers, uh, (laughs) materials for this kind of things are very expensive. uh, We did
0: did, did simple genotyping, we did lots of uh, PCRs, quantitative PCRs, real-time PCRs, um, lots of, of course, uh, basic microbiology, culture-based work. I was uh, moving to, to uh, towards doing sequencing and oral. It's it's at that point where I started to get interested in oral microbiome because that the concept was still new and I was following it very uh, eagerly. But I couldn't do much. But when I moved to Saudi Arabia, of course, the situation in, uh, financially uh, was much better. Um, uh, th- there were opportunities for funding um so that changed trajectory in a ways um uh, i was able to uh, to get some funding and uh, do higher quality research projects enabled me to do in, um, collab- um, um establish collaboration with with researchers from the usa from china malaysia uh, australia and so on and we published a number of good papers uh, but still i missed the uh, the uh, the still the research environments where you ha- where you are living among big teams of researchers and PIs, where you can interact and learn and and so uh, uh, basically it it was still individual efforts although you see the funding but you don't see the institutional aspect of um, of research. Um, the, the way you see it here in the West and in the USA, I'm sure that things have changed a lot from from that from that time because it has been developing very quickly, uh, very impressively. And I'm sure also the, the situation is, is, is even better in bigger universities like King's University and King Abdulaziz. Uh, but still, uh, this, uh, this this the system in the USA is very robust, uh, very supportive, very... Uh, efficient uh, when it comes to research. So uh, it has been a pleasure for me uh, and I have learned a lot since I uh, I came here in 2016.
1: I, uh, I think in 2015, I had an internship in Stanford in the Sleep and Sarcadian lab. And one thing that shocked me is like like you said like it's it's like you see researcher all over like brainstorming is amazing like exchanging of ideas was amazing, but one point was like you said it's pretty competitive and they said that every year they have labs that are closed for lack of funding. Right. But that is. <laughs> that was. I was like, this is Stanford and they're closing down labs. So. Right. I, that right. That was yeah. one of yeah
0: because uh, when you apply to uh, to uh, to to funding submit grant applications to for example uh, the national institute of health the uh, success rate is sometimes 11 12 15% and the best 20% so which means that out of 100 applications only uh, 20,
1: 20 is going to work Wow.
0: And, Many times you have to submit your application twice. And I've even tried to improve it and add more and more. Um, and the review process is very brutal. Uh, uh, I, I have not experienced uh, this level of scrutiny in, in review uh Back, back in uh, for Government Studio, maybe, or even in, in in my collaboration with 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 researchers from from Europe. also they have the same impression that the scrutiny of the review process in the USA is even higher or more stringent than it is in 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 Europe on, and in Australia. So uh, it is it is very tough.
1: Yeah. So the, I think this what we during this conversation, like we talked about different difficulties and probably maybe the the difficulty that you. have facing in 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 us is this part is the you know the 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 funding part Uh uh-huh isn't it
0: say it again uh, because you you, uh you disconnected for a a few minutes okay
1: sorry so uh, in in the beginning of like our like uh, my last question was the different difficulties that you had during different stages of your life so probably with with this stage of your life is like the the Basically, the funding process of you know being able to fund your lab, th- right? That that would be the answer to, to my question, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's the most challenging. It's the uh, uh, our bread and butter here as researchers in the USA. Funding is always the uh, uh, is the priority. Uh, um i live in, i mean i work in a very supportive uh institution temple university so i have received lots of support and uh universities can be understanding sometimes they they, they appreciate the difficulty of getting uh, uh funding and that uh, it's not possible to be funded all the time so um uh, it also differs from one institution to another so in an institution like temple where you receive lots of support and it also makes it make, makes life um,
1: uh, easier a bit easier yeah mm-hmm. so um my my, my next question my next question is sorry so having faced all these difficulties how do you support your like younger staff Uh, what what are the tips that you give them in order for them to avoid these difficulties that you already have faced and have experience in do you like um do you have discussions where you kind of you know lead them and show them the way
0: Maybe uh, maybe I, I had this sort of discussions when I was back in Yemen with my master's and PhD students. Uh, we have this support even outside the science, the scientific aspect of, of our interaction. We have more social interaction and we talk about different things here. Uh, he, uh, since I came here in USA, I've been a bit... Uh, um, I mean, the situation is that we everyone is a bit pragmatic. So what we... Uh, we, uh, what we are focused on and, and, and give our time all is to make progress with the projects. I meet with my postdocs every um regularly. Um, if they, of course, on the if they have any issues uh, with their social lives or whatever, uh, everyday life, I, I I am very flexible. I give them, I provide them with support. Um, if they need any recommendation, letters if they are. Planning to develop and, and apply for grants. For example, in my case, the, post, the, the two postdocs are from, from India, so they are now both back to India. So they know that I am, I am willing to always support them, uh, on, even to collaborate with them uh, to help them with their new, with their with their new career. Um, I have not had the opportunity to have somebody from Yemen or from the Middle East, for example. I think that in that case, the situation would be a bit, uh, or the interaction would be a bit different because i am more aware of the challenges back home in that area of the world so i would be in, in a better position to provide advice and help
1: uh that, that yeah. was going to be my question like have you had experiences that anybody reach out to you from like back in yemen or like from the middle east asking you for advice
0: yeah i mean i have this uh all the time i mean i i i In addition to those who I already mentored or supervised in Yemen when I was there, I kept in touch with whomever needs help uh, with advice about choosing a topic of research or completing an application or any... um, uh. So whenever somebody reached out and the, the area of research is within my area of expertise, I actually supervised the master's students in Yemen while I was here in the USA. We collected samples in Yemen, and then we had to, because of the uh, uh, of the blockade, we had to smuggle them to Saudi Arabia, then to Malaysia, and then from Malaysia, uh, I brought them all the way to here to the uh, to the US, and, and we did the uh, and we did the analysis in my lab. So I, I uh, to the best I can, I have apart from um, master's students or PhDs, I have lots of collaboration with Yemenis and non-Yemenis uh, in, hmm. in Arabia uh in um, uh, basically in Saudi Arabia, um, but I'm always open to to collaboration. and of course anyone would reach me with, uh, with advice or uh, or, uh, or support in in my capacity and, and when I have the time to do it, I, I do it with, with, with no hesitation.
1: I I do appreciate having somebody like you, you know, somebody with good background in research who's actually making it in the world as a dentist and a researcher. There, I for so for some reason I have no I have no idea why, but like dentists are expected to work in dental clinics and in hospitals, and not really be you know kind of moving into research. This this one thing like it, it always confused me, but like you're a prime example that dentists can and will be know part of, of research in the world uh just a question have you had an like um an experience like somebody that you've helped out and is actually now in in a graduate program or in a have already finished the pro graduate program uh one of those like that already asked you for help and they're already now making it as you know graduate students
0: yeah i wouldn't call it uh and, uh, uh, I don't want to say that I made favors to others. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just not not, part. Of the, it's just part uh, of the process. <laughs> yeah, part of the process because I was the first, for example, to be uh, to be in Norway. So yeah. I sort of facilitated it for uh, uh, for a few after me who were able to to come to because I was the first to be to Norway. Mm-hmm. So when I completed my my PhD and went back to Yemen, I I helped. Um, uh, um, to establish relationship between the two institutes in Norway and Yemen and they signed mm. a memorandum of understanding through which mm. several mm. Uh, students were able to go and they are all completed their uh, their PhDs and uh, they are now either working as postdocs or faculty. One of them is now a dean in, in one of the universities in, in Norway. So, um, wow. yeah, so that's, that's just an example of uh, <laughs> how, <laughs> how as you move you can I mean, you you make your way, and you leave if the do- doors open to the others. Uh, yeah.
1: Okay, so I think I've already taken a lot a lot of your time today. So final question with two parts is that, what would be your advice to you know young scientists maybe from Yemen or Middle East, and uh, you know developing countries? So what. Somebody who's interested in research, what would the resources that you would recommend to them?
0: Okay. Um, I mean, I'm very impressed by the enthusiasm and hardworking uh, people in Yemen uh, who, despite the situation, continue to uh, work very hard to continue their education after the uh, after the undergrad or after obtaining their bachelor degree. Uh, Fortunately, uh, although n- not not the best or not the ideal programs, but there are some masters and PhD programs in, in, in Yemen. So those who do their best to get an opportunity outside and they don't manage, then they end up in in doing research or doing their degrees inside Yemen. And I gave you an example of one that I was able to to supervise remotely, uh, and many do really great work, and I'm impressed. Uh, uh, these, I mean, these these are um, should be highlighted as role models because they succeed where success is maybe impossible. So, uh, uh, I would advise uh, people to, in case they are not able, you you can apply there are lots of of, uh, opportunities, scholarships, but they are very limited. Uh, The number of people accepted through these scholarships and the money uh, available for these scholarships is going down and down and down and down. So, uh so getting accepted uh, getting accepted through these prog- some of these programs is especially to europe is very difficult and to usa is even maybe maybe impossible i wouldn't say that that, that wouldn't have but maybe out of 1000 2000 1, uh maybe one would get the the, the chance to, to 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 be accepted um uh, uh, when i'm talking about the usa so uh
1: So as an applicant from developing countries to the USA, right? Mm Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I would still encourage people to apply to all these opportunities to the USA to to Europe. But again, you have to show you're competitive. So one way is if you want to get your, your, uh, increase your chances, if you start with smaller research projects with areas of of interest or unique areas of research don't just repeat yourself or doing something that everyone has done Uh, if you do something unique and then reach out to people who are interested in this area so don't just fish Um, do you increase your chances of getting accepted well this is coming from Yemen Yemen has this unique or rare disease that is really prevalent, and this guy has done already some some, some research on it. Yes, uh, I would love to bring him to my lab to work. Um, this would increase the chances. Otherwise, if if there is no cho- uh, there is no choice and you're you you enroll in one of the local programs, PhD or master's program, try to bring it to a higher level by there are lots of Yemenis uh, scientists around the world, in Europe, in USA, Australia, in Saudi Arabia, who are willing, not necessarily to supervise, but provide some help to at least help you bring your research idea uh, or to develop your research idea to a point where it becomes uh, meritorious. So um, reach out to people, Um, don't get disappointed. Um, but reach out to the right uh, p- uh, people with the right expertise in the area that you are uh, interested in so bring bring your work to a higher level so at least once you are done with your master's degree in, in Yemen uh, with with, uh, with some good qual- with quality work that can help you with a PhD outside mm-hmm.
1: um,
0: of course many would just continue with their master's and PhD the problem is the uh, lack of funding, so that that's that's uh, the main limit, uh, the main uh, problem in 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 or challenge in mean, Yemen. So uh, many people end up doing simple, simpler projects, not because they are not capable of doing more complicated research, but because they don't have the money. Uh, uh, but sometimes, even with collaboration, reaching trying to reach out and say, "Okay, I have these samples, Can you help me with this, or can I help me with that?" Not everyone will be responsive. I can be responsive to one student, not to the, not to everyone. So, <laughs> yes. I can. There is, there is, there is a limit uh, um, uh, where we can. Uh, um, uh, I can, I can have one two three I can have one hundred, but um, hmm. reach out. Try to uh, uh, to get with, uh, uh, get uh, with your project to the best level, to the higher, to the highest quality possible with uh, in, in that setting. Um, and the world now is open, so you can learn a lot without traveling anywhere. You can learn the, um, about, the, um, uh, about the basics of, uh, of principles of research, um, um, basic statistical analysis, uh, the basic study designs, and everything you can learn online. There are unbelievable resources that are maybe better than if you're in one institution. Because you can diversify, so you can watch the best of the best from everywhere. So it's Com- now it, it's
1: complete, I, Yeah,
0: like you are back, back home. So it's uh, uh, at uh, uh, at our time we didn't have all this access to all this material online. Now it's it's endless and it's it's free. And so the last five yeah. Themselves,
1: yeah. In in the last five years, it's like an explosion of information. Like you can find and learn about anything on the internet. And right. not not just YouTube like now Coursera like like websites like Coursera like provide you information from decent universities they even offer master's programs in these websites so it's it's just exactly. incredible right now yeah.
0: yeah that's another option also online but of course you have to look to to make sure that you join the right program with the online because yeah. there are lots of of uh, um, uh, predatory predatory uh, programs and programs uh, yeah. And institutions that don't exist. Uh, so we have to be aware of these uh,
1: uh, which programs fake, to choose, fake, right?
0: Fake, yeah, fake programs yeah. and fake certificates. Uh unfortunately we see now lots of people getting their getting PhDs um, Certificate, I don't know where they get it from and uh, they finish their program in one year or not, which is which is because become a phenomenon in Yemen, terribly bad and with no, uh, with no regulation, with no um, uh, struggle.
1: Well, just be careful and try to, you know, get your degrees the proper way is, right. you know, is like what right. one could advise, you okay. know, anyone who's interested in postgraduates, right?
0: Yeah. So it's about about the the the, uh, the, the standard you set for yourself. Even when, when within Yemen, you can set some certain standards for yourself. I said I want to be up to this standard. I don't want to be below it. And as I mentioned, you can go. Uh, you can you can learn now everything online. And you can say, well, I want to do the, my research to meet these minimum standards. I want to eventually publish in this paper. I will do my best. I will connect with my. And I am impressed by it. now. We have a generation. Of, at least in the field of dental research, we are, I see a generation, uh, a generation of well-trained researchers, at the University of Sanan, University of Science and Technology, who are doing great job with even teaching the newer generation. So, um, uh, getting into the system uh, is 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 key to make sure that you get proper proper training. Choose the right uh, university, the right program, and the right mentor even locally, because they are not all the same. There are really good ones who you can seek their help and they are in turn connected with the outside so they can help you connect and and, 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 and it expands with the time.
1: So then I think that's a great advice and that is a very good way to, you know, finish this podcast. I, I appreciate all the information that you have shared with us today and, you know, Absolutely. the time that you have gave it, they gave me today. So, uh, it was a
0: great pleasure talking to you uh, through this. This is my first experience with a with a uh, podcast, so uh,
1: <laughs> really, I thought that would be more. So
0: I I also learned now a lot from 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 this experience. Thank you.
1: Well, th- thank you very much. I I I hope that this will not be the end of you know uh, our our you know kind of professional relationship. I'm I looking- uh, I follow your research. To be honest, I uh, I'm. I mean, I'm friends with your younger brother, if you know that. So yeah, yeah. So I've been, I think, I've first it's a time. Small,
0: it's, it's a small world, actually.
1: It is. It is, yeah. and it's, uh, it's it's quite incredible that now, with you know, technologies like this, we can have this conversation and basically do something that can help others too. So because
0: yeah. uh, I didn't, I didn't know that I had that. Uh, I, my youngest brother, I'm uh, older than him by uh, nine years, ten years, actually. I had a friend who completed dentistry and then went to Japan and did his PhD <laughs> in the dental area and now he's connecting with me to to have his uh, uh, podcast and talk about our research which is uh, it's, it's fascinating.
1: It's a small world right, like you said. So anyways uh, thank you very much for the time that you have given us today and Absolutely. Uh, I, I think yeah uh, thank you very much for today so and I will see you in the uh, hopefully in future episodes.
0: Thank you very much and good night.